I'm Jordan Weitzman, and you're listening to Magic Hour. This fall, we released Ordinary Things Will Be Signs For Us, a book we co-published with JNL Books made up of the photographs of Corita. I got to work on the book with Julie Alt and Jason Fulford, and the whole experience was revelatory in so many ways. We work closely with the Corita Art Center, and especially with their archivist, Olivian Shaw. On the day we launched the book in LA, I asked Olivian if she'd come on the show and talk a little bit about working together on the book and about the material we've been dealing with, which she's so close to. If you've seen the book already, this is a little behind-the-scenes episode, and if you haven't, a little background on Corita and her photography. We recorded it in my rental car parked just outside the Corita Arts Center in LA. Very LA. <laughs> I'm excited. It's it's a first for me too, and I'm from here, so. So first off, I mean, it's fortuitous that we're getting together today to talk about Carita's photography because today is Carita Day. It's actually just for the record, today's November 16th. It's November 20th, but we're celebrating it today because uh, okay. <laughs> November 20th falls on a Monday. <laughs> okay, nice. No one wants to celebrate on a Monday. <laughs> How long has Carita Day? Give, give us a little background uh, on Carita Day. I don't know when it started, but I started here six years ago, and it was always kind of November 20th is her birthday. So, you know, kind of the month of November, uh, we celebrate um, her legacy and her artwork. Um, and also we celebrate our organization and, um, you know, still, you know, standing nonprofits, very small nonprofit arts organizations still standing in L.A. Yeah, and... Uh, this year has been a celebration of her photography, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's been a long road, but we have finally been able to share um, all of the beautiful photographs that were in her collection. And that was really in part due to this book that you and Jason and Julie have made and um, the digitization of the photo collection, which has actually... Um, been happening over maybe the entire course of my time at the Creed Art Center. Okay, so tell me about the long journey. Like, where does where does it start? Yeah, so Carita was a prolific photographer. Um, she took thousands and thousands of slides over her lifetime. Um, our particular collection at the Carita Art Center is really focused on um, the time period between 1955 and 1968, which was the year that she left the Immaculate Heart of Mary order and also retired um, not only as a nun, but also as a teacher, essentially, and moved to the East Coast to Boston. Um, so when she left, a lot of her slide collection still remained at the college, um, which closed down in the 80s. During her lifetime, um, she would accumulate these slides, these images. Uh, she would use them in her classrooms. A lot of the photos that she was taking um, were, you know, documenting her community, but also actively incorporated into many of her artworks. Right. When the college closed, Carita left, and then Immaculate Heart Community um, sort of stepped into uh, the role of becoming these, you know, essentially the gatekeepers for this collection. Um, they started the Carita Art Center. Um, in 1997. And at that point, they took all of Carita's works and all of her archival materials or records 
um, as it related to the college um, and her time teaching, as well as the slides. Um, they came into the collection of Korea Art Center, which they um, founded in 1997. It was such a revelation to see a lot of the photos that became raw material for her work. Yeah. Because I think that's always a big curiosity is, you know, you, you encounter her work, you encounter her serographs, and you wonder how they're produced. Like, you don't know how they were made or how she created those letter forms. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, it was, I mean, fascinating to discover. Yeah, I think it's also interesting to really think about now because everybody's artistic practice is very, you know, heavily anchored in the digital. So, you know, going back to see how analog, I mean, silk screening is still an analog practice, obviously, but even in order to burn those screens, it was very much an analog process using both photography um, and her ability to manipulate those images for the screen really happened um, through photography. Photography is what allowed that um, sort of, you know, the movement, the fluidity of the letter forms, all of the kind of um, uh, even a lot of the sort of sharper angles and graphic um, tricks that she used in the prints was really because she was able to manipulate these images first um, in the photograph. She would take an ad out of Life magazine, yes, cut it up, crumple it up, yeah, photograph it, and then make a silkscreen out of yeah. So out of that photo exactly. So she used photography. Um, in two ways, uh, she would she was in one sense at least uh, probably in the later 60s, using photography to directly burn into the screen, like photographs, images, for instance, with the help of her printer Harry Hambly. Um, but prior to that, um, she was also using the photographs, projecting these photographs using a slide, <laughs> mm -hmm. 35 millimeter slide onto the wall, um, and then tracing out the images and the forms. Um, to use as um, onto on her screens to use as a sort of you know space that was blocked um, as a, essentially a stencil into the silk screen um, to create the print. So um, yes, so her slide collection was used technically in the production of her prints alongside um, you know. I think that is a really, really small percentage of the photographs we have in the collection, actually, or, or the mm. ones that she used um, for her prints directly. And then, you know, you've seen, uh, I think, a good portion of the collection, but there are thousands and thousands uh, more that, uh, you know, document nature, that are landscape. I mean, I'm using these kind of photographic genres, but they don't really make sense when you apply them to an archival uh, photograph collection of this nature, you know, because... Mm. She wasn't thinking of them in terms of landscape or social documentary or, you know, pictorialism. None of that was really in her mind as she was taking these photos. She was just making them. Yeah, she yeah. was making them. Yeah. yeah. But w w So when you came to the Karita Art Center, how were all the slides housed? They were in categories, right? They, they, they had they been categorized. Yeah, so that was the kind of amazing thing, and maybe even more than um, Karita herself thinking about her as a photographer, really thinking about her as an archivist, or even beyond that, just what photo archives are, like how they exist in the world, how they circulate, how people find them, how people look through them. Really an index that she created of these... Um, images that she, you know, categorized into very, you know, 
um, it is idiosyncratic subjects. So mad hat party, um, solutions for problems. <laughs> so she used them or categorized them according to, you know, not only what w- was depicted in the photos, but this kind of playful, almost poetic assignment of, you know, what the photos mean, um, not just what they depict. And not all of them are categorized in those subject headings. They're not neat. You know, sometimes we would just find a carousel of slides and be like, oh, God, what is this? Let's just look at what these images are and then assign them, like, whatever idiosyncratic subject heading. I guess I'm mentioning that because after Corita passed in 1986 until 2023, there have been different curators. There have been different directors. There have been different, you know, archivists people in my role who have looked at this insanely enormous slide collection. So this archive has truly kind of accumulated through the, you know, oversight, through the hand of different people that are sort of committed to, you know, Carita's legacy, but not Carita. Yeah. yeah. I'm just curious, just tell me a little bit more about your background as a librarian. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, going way back, um, my background was in, fi- like my educational background is uh, in film and visual studies. And then I got my master's in library and information sciences hmm. with a specialization in archives um, and really thinking about artists' archives and contemporary artists' archives um, specifically. Uh, but then after graduating, I became a public librarian um, in the art department at the Central Library downtown. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was there for about eight years. Um, I initiated a very modest exhibition and public programming series there that um, highlighted contemporary artists. It's been such an incredible privilege to work through Carita's, work with Carita's archives, not just her artwork. Mm -hmm. And I think my appreciation for that really kind of has grown out of um, my experience uh, with archives, you know. So when you got, when you got here, did you, was the slide digitization process, was it already... Had it already been spearheaded or, or or did you come and discover photo like the photos and look at them for the first time and be like, oh, my God, this needs to happen? Or No, something? in fact, um, that wasn't me, even though I would have had those feelings, <laughs> certainly. Um, it's actually this is an interesting anecdote, because when I interviewed for this position, one part of the interview, which was it gave me so much anxiety, it reminded me of like the GRE one aspect after the sort of in-person interview was uh, the director at the time put me in front of a computer and like gave me this prompt, <laughs> which was how, and sort of described the nature of the slide collection and said, what would you do hmm. to make this slide collection accessible and kind of describe the madness of what it was, how some slides we knew what where they like came from and what they were and other slides we did it and, in this, you know, funny way of indexing them. Um, so I just like had to write an essay after I had my interview on how I would <laughs> catalog and digitize them. So that wasn't, yeah, what I had not initiated that and Creed Art Center had um, written several grant applications to find the funding to um, have them digitized. And I think, 
When I say digitize, it's really not just a matter of scanning images, which I think people confuse. Like, yeah, just digitize them. There's 15,000, just send them away to be digitized. And that's certainly the bulk. It's actually not even the bulk of the cost of, of what it takes. It's really the labor of archivists to you know come in, look at these images, and assign even the most basic metadata totally yeah so they become in indexed and searchable exactly and yeah and you can if you're in if you're curious about a particular i don't know topic subject matter um then you could more easily you know sort mm. of sift through them and mm -hmm. and find stuff yeah, yeah exactly and it's also just you know like those subject headings that they are grouped in it's you know they weren't always the thing they said they were. Or like mm -hmm. identifying figures, you know? Mm -hmm. Like there's so many people that are represented in these images and there's this whole sort of ethical question of like, you know, showing images where, you know, the figures mm. are anonymous and yeah. naming, being able to name them, identifying them. Totally. Um, Man, Julie was really amazing in working with her on the book. The slides are, they're, they're, it's slide film. They're not captioned. They're not, uh, they just sort of exist as slides. Yeah. And so, you know, Julie really has this encyclopedic mind and was able to identify so many of the people and places and which yeah. ended up being a component of the book. I mean, in the back, a lot of the captions that were, or the, the con I wouldn't even call them captions, no. but the contextual notations in the back of the book that identify you know people and places you know that was a big part of julie i mean there's it's so funny because this the book was such an interesting genesis of components being put together because first there was all of us looking through those the photos making an edit seeing where there were overlaps then seeing how spreads work together individually so there was just there was the visual aspect and then I remember one weekend, Jason was, I think he was up in Scranton and he started listening through one of Carita's oral histories and just started pulling little bits of like little snippets from that oral history that related to the photos. Oh, wow. And all of a sudden that became this other component that, you know, this other motif that ran through the book and changed how you would look at the photos. Mm -hmm. And then your essay coming in also. Yeah. It was like this really amazing organic process to see develop. Yeah. I mean, every time I, yeah, it was, I mean, I, I wasn't on the back end of that. But um, when I see the book, um, I feel that, I think. And I, um, I mean, we started off talking about the archive, um, but there is this really beautiful way that the book, I think, um, functions as this generative manifestation of how you know the archive can be used um, mm -hmm. that aligns really well with the way that in my mind Carita approached photography as a source like images were sources she never looked at images uh, or photographs as artworks in and of themselves you know right. it's like in my mind there is not just one beautiful photograph that encapsulates you know Carita's photographic style or even her like artistic style it's really just like the breadth of all of the images together and how she sort of relates I talk about this in the essay but how she relates one image to the next image and I think the book flows in this really beautiful way um, and there's something that's so resonant or that's kind of very you know embodies 
like the sort of energy of that moment in which they were created and how Karita used um, those photographs. Yeah. And, you know, I think you really hit the nail on the head with even just saying how the archive or how the photos are are, are used because that, that that really is the activity of making a book. I mean, mm-hmm. it's you have this material, mm-hmm. photos. I mean, they're they're raw material, and then there's this there's this this process of figuring out how how to use them, how to activate them. You can make I don't know many different kinds of books, and a big part of the the pro, the process in this collaboration was figuring out what kind of book that would be. Mm-hmm. And from all the details from, okay, is this going to be a hardcover or a soft cover, vertical, horizontal, what size the book is going to be? There are so many different decisions that yeah. go into it. That's yeah. also in the spirit of, you know, the Macula Heart community in the moment at that time. It was as much as Corita gets all of the love and attention. Um, it really was not, she was not just the only artist or the only sort of creative um, genius within her circle. Right. Um, so, and she also was working very collaboratively with her students and her colleagues. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there is one thing that, uh, one other thing about the book that, um, I really appreciated was you mentioned, um, the notations at the end. Um, and for me, that was also this kind of like acknowledgement or reflection upon having those notes and having that context and it's like it was a little bit loosey-goosey I mean the content is correct and we I I worked with Julie to like be able to identify the dates and like the figures as well but um, just that kind of work and that kind of acknowledgement was so is so critical to me like because you could have just made the book and not had it have any of those notations and it still would have been like a beautiful book right Right. but for some reason just having that back and who knows how many people will read it but just like it it needs to be there in my mind um and the way that julie wrote that and i'm the way you all wrote that and jason too is it was in this really poetic way that i appreciate you know it was yeah yeah and i remember you work on something you end up you read through it over and over and over and i remember one of the feelings that I had each time was, oh my God, I like, I still, I felt like I was learning something new each, even after, after having read it so many times and looked through it so many times, you, you would keep on discovering something new. I think so too. I mean, actually Julie described yesterday, you know, one of the big questions I had for her was, you know, how Karita's work you know, resonates in the first instance she confronted the work in 97 (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, versus now, um, but also sort of like what kept her going throughout that 30 years to, you know, make this commitment. And it was, it's sort of like along the lines of what you're saying about, you know, going back to something and still finding something new, there being enough richness and meaning there. And, but the one critical thing that she said, which was, I think applies to maybe all, maybe all photographs I don't know it's like the way that you see an image always changes depending on how you are feeling that day or five years ago or an hour ago you know whatever it is just will change your perspective on how you're reading or what you're what kind of meaning you're deriving from the image so it's happening in her archives I think yeah totally totally 
Well, thanks so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and thank you for asking me. I'm yeah. so happy we, now you know that you can, if you're in a pinch, you can, can do we, a podcast in the car. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that was my conversation with Olivia and Shaw that we recorded in L.A. This episode was produced by me, Jordan Weitzman, and was edited by Aidan McMahon. Original music for the show by Adam Feingold. To browse our archive of over 50 interviews with photographers and people involved in the medium, visit us at magichourphoto.org, where you could also check out our books that we've been publishing under Magic Hour Press. You could pick up a copy of our new book on Corita. Ordinary Things Will Be Signs for Us on our website, too. Happy holidays, and see you in the new year. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.